Eagles Entertainment. The journey to the draft is driven by AAA. AAA roadside is their strong side. Make AAA a part of your game day today. AAA, go ahead. With the 25th pick in the NFL draft, the Philadelphia Eagles select. You're listening to the Journey to the Draft podcast, driven by AAA. Welcome to the Journey to the Draft podcast, driven by AAA. I'm your host, Fran Duffy, and we've got another really fun show for you here today. We're going to talk about uh, some draft day surprises, potentially, when we get to late April, and we'll also uh, get a little preview in, and we'll, we're going to jump right in to the top. Draft Buzz, Ben Fennell, Dane Brugler, and I, we're going to chat about some of the shocking disparities that you may see in draft rooms all across the NFL at this stage of the process after some reports that we've gotten over the last week or so. We'll also do a little bit of a deep dive into the defensive tackle position. Not the deepest group overall this year, but some quality players that we will hit on right at the top of the show. After that, we've got On the Clock, where Ben, Dane, and I play GM for three different teams. And for each of these selections, each of us are going to be playing GM. The other two are going to be playing the roles of the scouting staff and the coaching staff. We added that twist last week, got some good feedback, so uh, we're going to go round two with it uh, here again today. Afterwards, the blueprint. This week, I chat with Zach Hicks, who covers the Indianapolis Colts for SB Nation. He's done some really insightful pieces on the types of players that general manager Chris Ballard has targeted during his time in Indy. So when you're putting together your mock draft, He's going to give you some good advice there on the Colts and what they are looking for. Then we'll wrap it up with Draft Mailbag. We've got a fan mock draft to get through, which, by the way, that is the last question in our queue. So if you've got a question, all you have to do is jump on Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating. If you leave your question in that comment section, we will get to it right here on the show. And it doesn't need to be a question. You can ask us about a player. That'd be great. But you might have uh, your own set of rankings you want us to break down. You might have a mock draft you want us to break down. Maybe you've got a question just about player evaluation in general. Whatever it is, you can jump onto our Apple Podcast page, leave us a rating, leave us a comment. It's the best way to throw us your support as we're putting out a couple podcasts every single week. It helps keep that podcast up and, you know, higher and higher in the rankings and makes it more visible to other people that are looking for podcasts about the NFL draft. Appreciate everybody that has done that in recent weeks. That being said, let's get this show rolling. It's time now for Dane Brugler, Ben Fennell, and Draft Buzz. Now it's time for Draft Buzz. All right, guys, let's jump right in here with Draft Buzz as I welcome in Dane Brugler and Ben Fennell. Guys, uh, the report that I wanted to respond to at the very top here is, is an interesting one, and it was it captured a lot of headlines late last week, and that was uh, the reaction of multiple reports. Our friend uh, Eric Galco with Optimum Scouting had put out, um, and a couple other people kind of bounced off that, was uh, that saw a lot of teams, or a couple, multiple teams, I should say, do not have Trevor Lawrence as the number one quarterback. And I don't want to necessarily talk about that report specifically because to me, it's really interesting that there was so much blowback on that from a, oh my God, I can't believe that people have differing opinions on on on, uh, on these prospects because you know this is around the time when coaches become more involved, they're all going to have thoughts. Individual scouts, the area scouts, they're going to have their own thoughts. High-level executives, the directors of player personnel, the college directors, the, you know, the VPs of personnel, they're going to have their thoughts. General managers, they're going to have their thoughts. So when you factor in all these different opinions, yeah, not everybody is going to see all these players uh, the same way. So, uh, Dane, I guess just when it comes to all of these kinds of reports, what what kind of goes through your mind? Well, is that is that kind of how you view it as well? Yeah, and I, it's tough because at this point, teams really don't have you know draft boards physically exactly. Yet. Yep. You know, like it's not it's it's just opinions of people uh, around the league, and so I mean, most of the time, I think it's chum in the waters. You know, um, I think part of the time you know, the, these reports have no merit because again, it's just opinions throughout the league. It's not like 
the teams have their draft boards built and there's one quarterback at the top and it's not Trevor Lawrence. Like it's just, it's, it's not how things actually are. So, you know, I, I think once the calendar turns to February, we really start to uh, hear the misinformation and a lot of the differing opinions and, you know, it's people get so locked in on uh, a certain way of thinking. It, it happened with you know Justin uh, Fields coming into this year. He was the number two quarterback and that was it. You know, there's there's no room for anybody else to think anything different. And then Zach Wilson emerges and people a lot of people had a hard time, uh, you know, thinking that anybody but Justin Fields could be that number two uh, quarterback. And I, I think, you know, we want you want to keep stay open minded to the to the possibility of a team thinking that uh, Zach Wilson or somebody else is above Trevor Lawrence, but you know, at this point in the season, you know, I think it's more just uh, varying opinions around the league, and uh, you know, I, I think it's 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 more noise than it is a lot of truths mixed in there. And Ben, honestly, it's one of the things that I love about uh, do, doing this podcast with you guys. You know, the three of us have been talking every single week for the last, what, eight months now uh, about all of these players, and you know, we'll talk whether it's here in this show or offline. We, all three of us have differing opinions on all these players. And so, uh, you know, if Dane is talking to uh, a reporter and I'm talking to a reporter and you're talking to a reporter, you might say, oh, yeah, you know, like, you know, I, I like him more than our head coach does. I like him more than our general manager does. Uh, you know, people run with that kind of stuff. And I, I it kind of just speaks to the fact that it, more of the human element of this entire process. Yeah. And I like hearing outlier takes and, uh, you know, maybe differing opinions and that's part of this process and it's healthy to have those conversations. It's how we react to those conversations, which I think we need to look in the mirror for more. We don't need to be so emotional or dramatic about scouts, maybe questioning a prospect or, you know, it's also the, the news media side of it in that Trevor Lawrence has been the consensus number one pick for the 2021 draft for about two and a half years now. If I say Trevor Lawrence is the number one overall pick, that's not an exciting headline. So there's a bit of the sensationalism around headlines as well, too, to say everybody's going one direction. This article went the other. Which one's going to get picked up? The one going the other. And that's kind of the clickbait world of, you know, uh, headlines and takes and opinions that we live in. So what I was kind of thinking just coming off of this discussion was I feel like a lot of people would be surprised at how many of those opinions there actually are, right? Because not everybody, not all 32 teams aren't going to look at all these players and say, yep, this, this is our set order, guys. We, we, we agree with uh, how Daniel Jeremiah sees it or how Todd McShay sees it or how Dane Brugler or Ben Fennell see it. We, we see it our way. So what I was kind of thinking was, all right, let's each of us kind of contribute a, a scenario or two where, you know, it could be, a, oh, yeah, I like Zach Wilson more than Trevor Lawrence. He, he's my number one quarterback. To me, one, one good example of that would be looking at this wide receiver uh, group, right, for this upcoming draft. A lot of people, you know, the debate for a lot of people is Jamar Chase versus Devontae Smith. I think a lot of people would be surprised if you said, oh, well, actually, I like Jalen Waddell as the number one receiver or as the number two receiver ahead of Devontae Smith, uh, the guy who just won the Heisman Trophy. I think a lot of people would be surprised by that. By the way, you shouldn't be surprised by that. I think that there are that a lot of smart people kind of have that opinion that yeah, J, you know, Jalen Waddle might be the better pro prospect. He might have uh, you know the the better pro career when we're sitting here ten years from now. 
you know, and another uh, conversation that's starting to gain buzz is really the press cornerback conversation where we had Patrick Sertan kind of as the incumbent number one cornerback throughout most of the season. And now we're suddenly seeing is Caleb Farley potentially the first one is JC Horn, maybe a better value right. prospect over Sertan. So this is that muddying of the waters time where you're starting to re-reflect on their entire body of work, stack your board and project your board as well. And everyone's board is going to be a little bit different and having differing opinions is why you pay all these different scouts to be in one room. If everybody was just a yes man and trying to get on the same page, that's typically, you know, bad business as well. So I love having some maybe tough conversations at times, but I call them healthy conversations. Yep. Dane, is there one of those scenarios that you kind of see as one that maybe people would be surprised by? Well, quarterback was what I wrote down. Uh, like what, what, what Ben said. Uh, yep. I mean, I, to me, yeah, yeah, Caleb Farley's been the top corner all year. And then Patrick Sertan right behind him. But if so, someone else has J.C. Horn as their top corner in this draft, it's not the craziest thing. You know, it's not like you know, there, there's no way that could happen. It's just nonsense. Uh, I mean, it's it's something that you could certainly understand. If someone came away watching the Auburn tape and a couple other tapes and thinking, Okay, give me J.C. Horn uh, with what he can do. Uh, I think he can play man. I think he can play zone. I, he's he's not scheme specific. He can do a lot of different things. And so, if a team came away thinking Horn's our guy, uh, that to me that's not crazy. And really, I think you go position by position. Hey, you're a, a linebacker. Uh, if a team had a specific need for that Sam role, and they look at Zayvon Collins and what he can offer. Is that crazy to think they draft him over Parsons or Owusu Koromoa? Not necessarily. I think that's certainly in the realm of possibility. So, uh, you know, based off of what teams are looking for, uh, play personality wise, scheme fit wise, uh, definitely see some of these, uh, you know, quote unquote consensus uh, third or fourth uh, in the rankings of their positions, maybe yep. be uh, at the top of a list for a certain uh, certain team. And Fran, it's not really even just for stacking and big boards because this is going to go right into the selection process. Reflecting back on last year, it feels like the um, uh, Henry Ruggs going ahead of, you know, no CeeDee Lambs and exactly. Judy's yep. in the first round stacking that made everybody kind of say, whoa, I didn't really see that coming. So uh, while they're all first round receivers, how they go off the board is obviously going to uh, vary. Can I throw a couple names at you too, guys? Because to me, like the with this year, with all the different opt-outs and the guys that uh, are coming into the into the NFL with such small sample sizes, I feel like there's going to be even more variance than normal. Like a player like Walker Little, right? We've talked about him as kind of a wild card in this class. I'm going to be honest, guys, like going back and watching that 2019 game, well, I'll get one game a year and change ago against Northwestern, an out-of-conference opponent, he looked like a first-round pick in that game. In my, in my opinion, I watched him. I said, this guy looks absolutely legit in this one game. It was 16 months ago, right? So uh, everybody's going to weigh that differently, and everybody's going to have different information, and everybody's going to say, oh, well, you know, I know the guy that he's working out with, or I know this, or I know, I know, I know the offensive line coach there at Stanford. That's where that stuff's going to go. But just going off that film, if, if you said Walker Little's going to – guys, Walker Little's going to be a surprise first-round pick. He's going to go in the, in the 20s in this draft. I wouldn't say like, oh, that's a huge, huge surprise to me, but I think every, but that would be the headline of draft. I would be like, wow, that was a, a surprise there with Walker Little going in the first round. Yeah. And who, who's the Washington tackle that went in the first round two years ago uh, to Atlanta? Caleb McGarry. Uh, yeah, exactly. Like, I don't think a lot of, we weren't talking about that as no. a, as a big possibility. I mean, and we know these tackles get pushed up. Um, and, you know, with the circumstances around Walker Little, 
Yeah, that could certainly be the case. Uh, another name at tackle I'd throw out there is James Hudson at Cincinnati, who, sure. you know, it, it, a different journey than Walker Little, but similar in terms of you wish there was more of a sample size. And we've seen him more recently, but, you know, he basically has, you know, not even one full season at uh, at tackle. But the the traits are really, really intriguing. Uh, if if he If you told me that he ends up in the first round, I wouldn't be shocked. I would understand it because the traits are first round worthy. So yeah, I think there's a, there's definitely a few of these, those types of players where uh, teams will might ultimately be higher. And if they get convinced that, you know, it's not that much of a risk, they might uh, try to capitalize on those traits. Every single year, there are players that go higher than everybody in the media expects and players that go lower. And it's because of these kinds of things. It's just that we we get so shocked and there's like that shock factor in February and March and April leading up to it uh, that, you know, maybe it gets kind of glossed over. But that, that there's a reason why those kinds of things happen. But uh, I was glad that we were able to kind of churn through a couple p- potential scenarios uh, for where that could happen here this spring. Uh, guys, before we get into our defensive tackle preview, uh, we like to win our film room recap. Just uh, a guy that we have each watched over the last week or so that we wanted to kind of bring to the table. Ben, uh, I'll come to you first with this one. Is there a guy that you've studied lately uh, that has kind of caught your eye? Well, I've been trying to clean up my edge rushing pecking order. So I finished up Miami edge rusher Jalen Phillips. And I said over the weekend, after watching all of his tape and doing his report, I think he's the most advanced and well-rounded pass rushing prospect in this class. Hmm. And now everyone's going through the Rolodex. Listen, Ojolari, he's looser. Quiddy Pay is more explosive. Rousseau is longer. Basham is stronger. Shaka Tony's got a better step. Oway's got more upside and traits. But collectively, the full body of work, Jalen Phillips, I think, checks all the boxes and has the best, most well-rounded uh, traits and upside, in my opinion. He's 6'5", just a shade under 260. He has the size, the length, the strength, the speed, the awareness, the motor, and some technical usage in uh, getting after quarterbacks. So I love his pass rush plan. He can win a variety of ways. He can win high side bending and flattening the corner, has the speed of power, has spin moves, counter moves. His awareness is outstanding, guys. Rarely behind the quarterback. Loves to get to the quarterback's depth and either retrace or flatten. That keeps him alive in plays. Has some three-tech alignments with Quincy Roche over there. A lot of stunts and games. Active, violent hands can change directions as we've seen him as the unblocked guy, as whether he's an option player or trying to uh, make jet sweeps and some end around plays where he has to really change directions. He checks a lot of boxes. The biggest concern for Phillips, remember the former number one overall player out of high school, went to UCLA, retired from the game, came back to the University of Miami, has the concussions has some off the field interests and things to maybe vet through as well and figuring out his, uh, you know, interest in football and just being a professional, but his tape is really, really interesting. And he's a productive player and checks a lot of boxes and looking at a guy that's six, five, two fifty eight, that's right in the size and the mold we want out of our edge rushers that can survive on early downs and some sub package looks. So Jalen Phillips is an interesting player and I'd be shocked if he made it out of the first round. I mean, he's a, he is a guy that goes back to that early part of the conversation where I feel there's going to be people that are all over on, on him, right? There are going to be some people that view him as a, as a first-round player and what he can be. You look at his ceiling and say, look, he hasn't played a ton of football at the collegiate level. This was really the only year where he was a full-time starter. Everything else, he was kind of a spot player early in his career for UCLA. And you mentioned the the, the stuff, the other stuff that you're kind of worrying about with him, but just looking at the off at the on-field Say, man, like this guy could be everything we were looking for off the edge, but there are some people that I'm sure Dane maybe have him off the board. 
I've literally had scouts tell me he won't, he won't be on the board for us. And you know, that might be a little premature when they haven't gotten to the medical portion of the process yet. But uh, you know, he, he said it pretty matter of factly that, you know, wasn't going to be on the board for us and you know, that he's got a lot of baggage, but I mean, I agree with the, uh, you know, a lot of what Ben said. He, if you told me that, you know, he was a cousin of the Bosa's, I'd believe it. When you look at uh, some of the similar ways they win in terms of using their hands and their, uh, their, their pass rush construction, uh, not quite as dynamic as the Bosa's, but they they have some similar movements. And so I, I, I'm Phillips as a as a talent, easy to get on board. Uh, you know, really really talented player. The baggage is obviously going to be something that, especially for those of us on the outside trying yep. to figure out what to do with that, it's just going to make it really difficult. And Dan and Fran, really fast, in all sincerity, he could retire tomorrow. He could play for 15 years. I have no idea. And that's kind of the gray area of the limitations of the tape, limitations of not being, you know, privy to medical records and things like that and personal yep. interviews. So just as a, as much as I'm talking him up and crushing on him and I like him, he could retire tomorrow. He could be a hall of famer. That's how all over the place certain, you know, prospects are in this class, particularly the ones with some medical and some off, the, you know, off the field concerns. You have to wonder with this, abbreviated process um you know what how that's going to affect a player like that because you know without uh you know without having scouts on campus during the fall and without having you know his he wasn't a guy at the senior bowl um you know this is a a lot of teams they learn about these guys with these issues on those those 30 visits the the facility visits those aren't happening this this spring uh or they'll take him out to dinner before his pro day that's not going to happen. So there's a lot of the steps that are missing that teams usually rely on to get a better sense of the person and not just the player. And so you have to wonder in a, in a process that's abbreviated like this, what that means for a guy like Phillips. It feels like the NBA taking kids out of high school, the bust rate is going to be that much greater. The variance in the hit rate is going to be that much greater. Well, either that or they decide there's too much risk involved. We're not going to pull the trigger here, yeah. Right. And and that's I could see it going either way where, yeah, they teams will say, you know what, we'll take the chance. There's too much talent there. Or other teams are going to be like, you know, we'll we'll just we'll we'll let someone else take that chance. We'll go with uh, someone we feel more comfortable about. I talked about this last week here on this show, but I actually caught up with former NFL scout Dan Hatman last week on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, and we talked about this pre-draft process, what it's like for scouts, how that could impact the selection process when we get to late April. Uh, and he said, you know, talking about those kinds of players, uh, the guys that have the off-field stuff, that have the medical stuff, they could fall a little bit further than you would expect this year because teams might just say, hey, look, if we've got these guys and they're, they're kind of similar, we're going to go with the other guy that we feel a little bit more certain about just because this year where we just don't, we don't have enough face time. There's not enough exposures for us to feel you know extra confident uh, about that kind of scenario. And really quick, Fran, I love the, the point Dan made that saying, well, how do you survive with the limited tape? Hey, listen, the pro scouts got to make full reports on nine preseason snaps sometimes. Right. So we're used to having limited tapes and having to do a full picture. So yeah. I just love that sentiment of, Minimal tape. That's okay. We're used to that. We're, we can get, we can figure out a way to get through that. Uh, <laughs> Dane, I, I want to come to you for your film and recap, but I want to real quick, just because I feel like this player um, for me is almost off the same vein as Jalen Phillips. And that's uh, Kelvin Joseph. Dane, you talked about him last week. I got to his film uh, late in the week last week. I mean, he is six, one, just under 200 pounds. He's everything you look for in a corner this way. When you look from a physical standpoint, uh, you know, he, he's long, he's athletic. He can turn and run uh, the way that he was able to defend Devonte Smith downfield numerous times was really impressive. 
He can play the ball in the air really, really well. He flashes as a run player, but he more importantly, just in coverage, he gives you that lockdown ability in a six foot one, 200 pound frame. I mean, that that's what teams are looking for, but he started at LSU. All the off field stuff that you talked about last week, I don't even need to rehash it, but I think that he's another guy that again, if someone said, Hey, we view, we view him as a top three corner in this class. I'm not going to sit here and say that's crazy. And if you said, Hey, he's off our board. That's not crazy either. And all 32 teams are going to have 32 differing opinions on that. Yeah. The baggage is, it's hard to know what to do with it. And on the field, I mean, yeah, he'll, he'll give up a play here and there, but the body of work's really impressive. Um, yep. And so it's, I, I, I'm not sure what to do with them. And another guy that falls in that category of, uh, you know, there's going to be limited amount uh, or limited chances for teams to really get to know him. Um, and, you know, it's, it, it, there's only so much you can learn virtually um, and, you know, without spending time around him and things like that. And so if you think that, you know, a guy like Kelvin Joseph's on the same, you know, tier as a Greg Newsom or an Eric Stokes or some of these other guys that maybe you don't have some of those questions, uh, all of a sudden, maybe Kelvin Joseph, instead of being the third corner, is the, the seventh quarter drafted. It's, yep. it's just really interesting. Dane, who's uh, who's your guy here? Uh, Justin Hilliard. Um, I oh, finished nice. as Ohio State, Ohio State linebackers. And uh, Hilliard, I mean, how do you not root for this guy when you just factor in how much he's been through with his injuries? Um, you know, he was, uh, you know, you think of Ohio State cleaning up uh, in the recruiting he was Ohio State's only five star that year uh, in 2015 when he uh, signed with uh, with the Buckeyes, and he was supposed to be the guy three years and out. Instead, he ends up spending double the amount of time in Columbus, uh, six years, and uh, mostly because of the injuries, uh, tore his biceps three different times, uh, his I think his right twice, his left once, uh, had a meniscus tear, uh, an Achilles uh, ruptured Achilles in 2019. It just it adds up. And so ultimately the medicals are going to determine where or if he's drafted, but just watching him against Northwestern, watching him on the Clemson tape, uh, this guy is, he plays with so much Twitch. He, he play his read reacts outstanding. Uh, he really played at a high level uh, this past year as a senior when he was able to get on the field. So, uh, you know, I, 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 the medicals again, that's the key, but just as a talent, unquestionably an NFL talent. And so when you think about the determination, the adversity that he's been able to overcome, uh, you know, he's tailor-made for an NFL locker room. So hopefully the medicals check out well enough where he's able to get drafted and, uh, you know, kind of make uh, make his way in an NFL training camp. Ben, how Basically, many, uh, many special team uh, snaps? It was over 700. It was the highest <laughs> I've ever seen. It was like 740-something. But it's also wild to go back and look at that 2015 recruiting class. I mean, he came in with Joe Burrow. He came in with uh, Denzel Ward, who just finished his third year in the NFL. Crazy. So this is definitely a veteran guy, a little bit of an older guy. Should be ready to go as far as, you know, uh, you know body and uh, strength. All right, let's get to uh, this defensive tackle position, guys, because, uh, you know, I said this earlier at the top. It's not the deepest group of defensive tackles. I remember two years ago, the 2019 draft was loaded at D tackle. It was deep. It was top heavy. There was a ton of talent. Last year, you had the top, you had the guys at the top. You had Kinlaw, you had Derek Brown, um, but it wasn't a super, super deep group. And then this year, I feel like even a little bit more of a drop off. We don't have that, uh, that blue chipper that's definitely going to go top 10, top 15, and the d- overall depth, not quite uh, what you would want. But that being said, I feel like day two, there are a lot of really quality players. And, you know, when you get to round two, round three, round four, where I'm like, yeah, like this guy's going to come in and play in the league. So uh, I feel like this is going to be really an interesting conversation. And the first question I've got for you guys, Dane, you can kick us off. The best pure pass rusher 
from the defensive tackle position. Who do you see it in this class and why? I'm going with Christian Barmore, uh, who I, I think most of us believe will be their first defensive tackle drafted. Um, uh, he's he's powerful in his hands, so he can create that natural uh, or that that immediate knockback uh, and, and kind of create his own passing lanes. Uh, he's just uh, or pass rush lanes. He's just he's a guy that just doesn't stay blocked very long, and so that helps him put pressure on the pocket. Uh, there, there are definitely raw elements to his game in terms of setting up his pass ru- uh, rush moves and being more efficient. But if you want a guy that's just going to be able to be disruptive and get to the backfield and disrupt the, the passing game, Barmore can do it just because he does not like to stay blocked and, and he's able to get off those blocks and make plays. So I'm going with Barmore. I feel like Barmore has the highest upside of the D tackles in this class because he's got the ability to win in so many ways. He's got some initial power. He can win with technique. He can win with quickness uh, off the ball. So, um, you know, the, he's got a nice arm over move. He's got a violent club rip move. He's got a double hand swipe. He's got a couple different tools in his bag uh, to be able to win. You just like to see it more consistently. Uh, that was my big thing with him uh, getting after the quarterback. For me, uh, I went with a guy that we have not seen. We haven't, honestly, we haven't really talked about. And that's uh, Pitt defensive tackle Jalen Twyman. He opted out of this past year. Uh, Pitt's defense still had a lot of success. They sent two guys uh, to the senior bowl along the defensive line and Rashad Weaver and Patrick Jones. But uh, Jalen Twyman, we, you know, we talked about the, the twitch, the ability to get off the ball and the first step and all that stuff. That, that stuff's all good. What stood out to me about Jalen Twyman, I thought his block recognition skills were really, really good. And going back and having an understanding of, hey, you know, they're sliding towards me or they're sliding away. So I'm man to man with this guard and I'm lined up, you know, on his inside shade. So he's going to have to kind of underset. I can sell outside and then break back in. Just having an understanding of how to attack the guy across from him. I thought he showed some advancements uh, as a pass rusher that really stood out to me. And he could string multiple moves together at times. He was really good on stunts and twists as well, but he could win one on one. Really good athlete. Uh, to me, uh, it's Jalen Twyman. A little bit undersized. It's 6'2", listed 6'2", 290 uh, when he was last uh, with the Panthers. But uh, this is a guy who in 16 starts put up 11 sacks. And uh, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of Jalen Twyman. We're kind of out of sight, out of mind player right now, uh, but a really intriguing player nonetheless. Ben, uh, who is your best pass rusher from the guys that you, you've seen so far? Yeah, Twyman has a versatile skill set and a deep bag of tricks. And this guy is, is in a similar mold. And that's Oso Digizua. Yep. And not so much in that he's this technical pass rushing, you know, beast. It's just that he's so versatile and he's so multiple with the ways he can win. And I think down at the senior bowl, taking reps at one tech, three tech, standing up off the edge really just speaks to his ability to play up and down the line. Very much in the mold of like a Cam Hayward down there at Pittsburgh who can play defensive end at any snap and he could be over the nose at any snap. I think he's that type of a player that can win with swim moves. He can win with power and strength. And Fran, you obviously got all of our eyes with your highlight of his spin move at three tech. So he's got some looseness. He's got some ability to shoot up field. He can win with power. And then the ability to line up, up and down the defensive line, never huge numbers as far as rushing the passer, but consistent across the board. Mm. And a lot of times had to do some run plugging first before he converted up field being that trench player. So he's a guy, I think a lot of his best football is ahead of him. So let's go to our next category here, and that's the best run defender. I'll start things off. Ben, I'll come to you second. Dane, uh, you round us out. To me, and I'm going to go with the guy that 
uh, Dane had laid out as the best pass rusher. I'm going to go Christian Barmore. Uh, he is so strong on contact. You know, obviously playing in that scheme for Nick Saban, you're going to have to be. A, you can't just be a pass rush specialist. You've got to be able to hold up at the point of attack. He's always square. He never gets his shoulders turned. He uses his hands well. He's violent on contact. I actually like him a little bit more. He's more consistent against the run right now than he is against the pass. That might be why. You know, if you look, if he was more consistent against the pass, I think we're talking about a top 15 type of talent. Uh, but I think right now, uh, with where he is in the run game. He's really, really intriguing to me as a guy that can line up inside. Really, he can play a number of different techniques. I mean, he played 3-4 DN in that scheme. He can come down and play three. He can come down and play the nose. Uh, I think that Christian Barmore, to me, the best overall run defender uh, in this class. And not just point of attack, but also backside, making plays of pursuit. I think he's got that in his bag as well. Uh, ben, who, who was it for you? Well, I'm going to go with a guy that also, you know, had opted out of the 2020 season and has slimmed down to a trim 6'3", 350. Trimmed down to 350, and that's big Tyler Shelvin at LSU. Has had some weight problems at a high school early in his career at LSU, but this is a massive run-plugging nose tackle, absolute run-plugger, stout at the point of attack, can stack and shed the centers, plays peekaboo really well. When he does want to shoot upfield, he can. He is a load. He is a train coming down the tracks. You cannot stop. Where you take him in the draft, I really don't know. He's had some rumblings of some Vince Wilfork. I think that's a little bit rich. Um, I don't know where you should pluck this style of player in the draft, but if you're looking for a one-dimensional nose tackle, he's your guy. He is the one that's going to plug rush lanes, plug gaps, and never get moved off the ball. So he's an exciting player that I think is a little bit out of sight, out of mind, like a lot of the opt-outs yep. have been. He's. I just. I redid his tape last week as a refresher. He is. He's really good. I mean, he is so and, stout. And Fran, just to talk about that 2019 season, obviously LSU winning the national championship. Dane Brugler mocked him ninth overall in his early 2021 mock draft right after the 2020 draft. So certainly uh, somebody that scouts and people we respect reviewing very highly. When I was doing that, I, I think I've said this before, but I had a scout tell me that he's, if he, if he wants to be, he could be Vince Wolfel. And yep. I mean, it, this, this guy was sky high on him uh, and his ability and it, the ability is there. I don't think it's an ability question. It's just, yeah. Can he put it all together and you know, the want to, to, to really maximize all that talent. So it, he he's, he's a, he's a really interesting player to be sure. Not and it's really fun. Really, yep, really quick friend. Uh, you know, I like to go back and watch some high school camp series every now and then guys in shorts and t-shirts doing one-on-ones. And he was in a really interesting summer class. He tore through Cesar Ruiz who was a first-round pick to the New Orleans Saints and a starting right guard in the NFL. So if you want to know just the caliber of player and the upside and the potential, he can hang with some NFL players. To me, I think it it is notable with Shelvin that he played in 2019 on that national championship season. Uh, you know, a team that played however many games and was you know rarely playing from behind. They were always playing with the lead. Still finished the year with zero sacks. So I think that the, you know the the lack of pass rush impact uh, I do think is notable. Uh, Dane, uh, who is yours here? I'm going with uh, Tommy Togiai, uh, Ohio State. I, this guy, his ability to keep his shoulders square, torque his body, uh, and take on single and double blocks, to discard them, find the football, just really, really impressive. Uh, he's got that upper body strength. He can stack uh, stack those blocks and, and really uh, find, the, find the ball carrier in the lane. So give me a guy like that who has not only the power, uh, but the instincts. Uh, you know, th- this is a guy that's not – you know, like Shelvin, where he's 340 pounds and he's yep. just a, a mammoth. He's 300 pounds. But you talk to people at Ohio State, they say he's easily the strongest guy we have in the program. 
So, you know, he's built in the weight room. Um, you know, he, he was a guy that developed a, a passion for weightlifting when he was like a 10 year old and he's just been doing it ever since. And so he's got that developed core power and, you know, you see it, you know, he, he needs to get better as a pass rusher. He's, he's still kind of raw there, but he's not raw as a run defender, developed power, physical hands, and the instincts that you really like to see uh, for a player that, uh, you know, can find the football. He is just a mound of muscle. Like that's all that Tommy Togiai is. You know, they call like, you know, uh, Doug Martin, the muscle hamster. Like that's kind of how Togiai is built. He's just all pure lean muscle. He's just a really, really strong player. Um, All right, let's get to our next one here. Best technician. Ben, you'll go first. Dane, you'll go second. I'll round us out. Well, I'm glad Dane, uh, you know, set up this ballpark here for Tommy Togiai because I think he's the best technician for a lot of the things Dane said. Not the biggest, not the strongest, not the fastest but so technically sound hands location consistent, almost every play pad level consistent posture, consistent eye level up consistent can play peekaboo can stack and shed hustles, obviously out to the numbers and down the field seems to do everything right. Technique wise. And then like you had mentioned, obviously that core strength, he brings a lot of brute strength with him, but he really uses a technically sound kind of game plan to get the job done. He never has plays that are like, Whoa, And that's okay. He's just a down and dirty, doing his job type of run plugger uh, with a little bit of pass rush upside because of his motor and effort. But that's okay that there aren't the wow flashes because that's the type of player he is. He's just that hard hat, blue collar guy that's going to be technically sound on a down to down basis. Dane, let's uh, let's come back to you. Who's yours here? Your best technician. You know, it's it's probably stretching a little bit because um, I'll be honest, I didn't. None of these guys really stood out to me. I mean, Tokyo, that's a good one. Yep. Um, I don't, I, I don't think any of these guys really stood out to me as being a a brilliant technician. Who they, you know, that's how they win. It's either quickness or power. Um, you know, I, I think that uh, Aline McNeil, I thought was had better. Up. He had better technique than I thought. And so that's why I'm going to choose him for here because he, I, I went in because, you know, he's a high school linebacker, moves to the defensive line. I, I was expecting a really raw player who was just more freaky than anything else. And, you know, there that's the case in a lot of his, uh, on his tape a lot, but I, I was impressed. I thought he, he played a little bit better than I, I thought in terms of, uh, not only is he resetting the line of scrimmage with his power, but it's the way he's using his hands. I mean, he's fighting with brass knuckles out there. And so it's it's not just power, but it's it's the way he's using his hands. Um, you know, he's striking with force, but it's also the placement. Um, and he's he's using bent knees. Uh, so he's able to, you know, use some of that leverage uh, and, you know, low pads to anchor at the point of attack. So he was a more uh, technically sound player than I thought. He's not, I, I wouldn't say it's necessarily the strength to his game, but I, I thought it was uh, a, little, a little better of a trait for him that I thought going in. Interesting. Uh, I, we're going to talk about McNeil uh, here in a little bit. I'm going to bring him up for another category. Um, so for me, I went with a guy that I feel like everybody was super, super high on coming into the year, right? Marvin Wilson from Florida State was in uh, every single mock draft. He was in the top 10 of some, top 15 of some, top 20 of others. He was in everybody's mock. Then everything kind of fell down. And now I feel like all right, I was I was the low mo- low man on him coming into the year. 
And now I'm like, all right, well, don't forget about Marvin Wilson now. I mean, he's a, he's a big, strong kid. He's got some power to him. There are athletic limitations to be sure, but this guy is really technically sound in my mind. And when, when I watch him as a pass rusher, he's not winning with quickness and burst, but I think what, the way that he wins, he's so good with his hands. He's changing up the pacing of his hands all the time. It's not like his hands are always going a million miles an hour. He's changing things up. And he also has a couple different moves. He can string things together. He's really violent when he puts his hands on you. So uh, to me, I I look at Marvin Wilson and see how he wins. I think he's got a pretty defined rush plan, and then he knows how to be able to use his hands to be able to win at the top of the rush. So I'm going to go uh, with Marvin Wilson uh, for my pick there as the best technician. Um, let's go with another one where this one was a tough one for me. Uh, best motor, because there are a bunch of guys that uh, really get after it uh, in this group. Who's got the best motor for you, Dan? I went with Levi Onzorike. It's a great one. Uh, out of Washington who, you know, in – you don't necessarily uh, see a ton of splash plays on his on his film because they played him at, at nose tackle. He's head up over the center, and you know he's taken on multiple blocks, and this really doesn't have that chance to create a lot of the the, the flashy plays. But it, it's not for a lack of trying. I mean, this guy plays with ridiculous effort, snap in, snap out, um, hustle. Uh, he's very active with his hands, very violent with his hands. Doesn't take plays off. Uh, and you know, a lot of times that, that helps him be productive, uh, in terms of, you know, uh, sniffing out screens or, uh, chasing from the backside, different things like that. So, uh, I, I think Onzerike, there's, you know, some things that he needs to clean up in his game, but his effort is not one of them. It's, it's definitely one of the strengths to, to what he does. So for mine, I'm going to bring up a player that we've already talked about twice, and that's Tommy Togiai. To me, when you look about, uh, look even back to his interview that he did with me last week, right? He talked. I said, "What's one play that best encapsulates uh, your career that you would want fans or coaches or scouts to watch first? And he brought up two plays in pursuit. You know, plays where he's chasing the ball down the field or outside the numbers, and I think that speaks to his play personality. So uh, for best motor, I got to go Tommy Togiai just based off that alone. Uh, ben, who is yours? Or a few options here left on the table. Yeah, I'm going to go to the other side of the country here. USC D tackle Marlon. Yeah, it's a great one. Tui Pelotu, yeah. uh, who was down at the Senior Bowl. This guy makes tons of plays out to the numbers, loves the hustle, you know, sideline to sideline. And he, doing that from the nose tackle one tech position most of the time. So he had really good tape in 2019 when he was paired with J. Tufele. Tufele obviously opted out in 2020 and left uh, Tui Pelotu by himself. But this guy has a great motor and I think a much better upside and, you know, projection than people think. And by the way, uh, uh, Jay Tufele does not have a bad motor uh, himself. He's, he's another guy who <laughs> chase plays outside the numbers. It, it, there are certain teams where it's almost like infectious, and yeah, that's one sure. of those where it seems like they kind of feed off each other. No question. All right, let's go to our, our next one here. Guy that you are higher on than most, and I will start things off with Milton Williams from Louisiana Tech. I think I talked about him last week on the show. Um, this is a guy who declared early for the draft, former defensive end who made the move uh, as more of an interior player this year. He played in the 270s, I believe. Well, he's up over 290 now. He's going to test like a freak. He's really, really disruptive. He's violent with his hands. Uh, I think I wrote down in my notes, he reminded me of Malik Jackson when Malik was coming out of the uh, University of Tennessee. I think he's got that same kind of f- uh, flexibility positionally where he can play DN, he can play D-tackle. Either way, he's going to be really violent. He's going to be really disruptive. Run, run game, pass game. Uh, Milton Williams, a guy I think is going to be a lot higher on boards than uh, people right now are kind of giving him credit for. Uh, ben, who would that pick be for you? Well, we're going to go right back to USC and just talk fully about Jay Tufele right yeah. here. Another guy a little bit out of sight, out of mind. Really interesting college career because he was essentially just a one-year player. You know, that 2019 was a bit of a rotational player in 2018, was injured coming out of high school, didn't play his senior year. 
and then didn't play this past year. So whenever he's on the field, he's one of the best players. Uh, and it's easy to see he has a really lethal combination of being powerful and balanced. He's a guy that can win with strength and, you know, brute physicality. And he's so tough to knock off his feet, to move, to jar, to get him off his rush path, to get him out of his gap. He's a guy that can control his spot really well. He can play on the move really well. He has some plays in pursuit that are combine drills where it's two steps to the left, redirecting, redirecting back, flipping his hips. Doesn't always get the quarterback, but you can see the movement patterns. And I think really good player. Just another guy that opted out of 2020 and his draft buzz is a little bit kind of lost in the weeds right now with some of those other guys. I think Tufele is a stud. Uh, no, I'm, I'm really excited. About and, him. and Fran, really quick with Tufele, I think he is incredibly raw still. Yeah. I think he still has some technique stuff to work on. I think he still has some awareness stuff, some block ID stuff. Yep, definitely. And that just makes what he's done on the field that much more impressive that I think he's done it using some God-given abilities and just some athletic athleticism and strength combination and not necessarily being a technically sound football player, which gets me excited yep. that he still has some upside and some room to grow. Dane, what do you got? Let's stick at USC. Uh, I'm going with uh, Tui Pulotu uh, as the guy that I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm higher on, on than most. I mean, this is a guy that uh, flashes power in his hands. He can shock, he can knock back, he can, he can separate uh, and uh, find the ball carry in the run game. Uh, doesn't have a ton of backfield production, and I think he needs to get better as a pass rusher, but he's strong, he's stout, uh, he's a dominant run defender. Uh, so I, this is an NFL starter, one gap, two gap scheme. Uh, I'm a big fan of what he can do. He's a, in my opinion, a, a top 60 guy uh, in this draft, no question. So last week, uh, when we finished up the segment, Ben texted me right afterwards. He was like, Hey, you know, one category we need to put in every week is just a sleeper guy that, you know, no one, no, no one's talking about, uh, that we need to bring up on, onto the show. And so here I am, uh, you know, following Ben's orders, Ben, you can lead us off here. Who's a sleeper at the D tackle spot. Well, I've been watching some NAIA football lately, oh guys. And I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> so uh, two guys really quick. Big Naquan Jones at Michigan State is 6'4", 340. He's a massive run-plugging nose tackle with a little bit of upfield surge. He's an interesting player. Not hard to miss at that size. And the other one at BYU is Kyrus Tonga, yeah. number 95. He's about 6'4", 320. He's a wound-up defensive tackle with a really good get-off. You can see the athleticism and the burst doesn't always finish, but uh, two guys, just a little bit, uh, you know, not much buzz around the, uh, the draft circles right now. I thought Tonga was a draftable player uh, watching him. He's, mm-hmm. he's a fun player. I, I did like his film late in the week last week. Uh, Dane, who you got for us? Yeah, he's definitely draftable. I think um, I'm, I'm going with Roderick Perry, uh, defensive Ooh. tackle out of Illinois, uh, throw in the Iowa tape. And, right. you know, you, you watch this guy get active, get after it. Uh, He's a grad transfer from South Carolina State, uh, and so one year at the FBS level. Uh, there's a lot of tools there. I, I tell you what, I, I I would I'll put money on him getting drafted in the sixth or seventh round. Like there's a lot, lot of lot of traits there to work with. Uh, he's got some length. He can drive blockers backwards. Uh, plays with quickness. Plays with motor. Rod Perry, number ninety six, is, is a name to know. And that's a really popular transfer destination. I did have a note here in January. He decided to go back. Illinois for an extra Ooh, year. Interesting. So he's a, definitely a player to keep an eye on and uh, somebody that has been on radars coming out of South Carolina State. And now it, oh, so he's going back for next year's. Correct. Oh. Yeah. I see an article here from January 20th. Um, but as, we've seen, I, I as we've seen before, there's been some okey dokes, there's been some back and forth. So this is kind of the, uh, the land we're living in right now. 
Ben did that to me last week after I watched uh, the North Texas kid on Friday. I, wa- I watched the North Texas, the North Texas defensive tackle um, Norville and yeah. I, I finished him up and I talked to Ben and he was like, Oh yeah, he's going back. Like I feel like that's going to happen. They're like, well, oh, Twitter yeah, never never ceases an opportunity to let me know either. I try to just mention Colby Harvell Pell and a mix of nickel safeties, and a dozen people let me know that he's going back. Right. Not to mention, he declared and right. then went back. So this is hard enough to figure out. And now you have players okie doke in their decisions. Yeah, let's let's go, guys. <laughs> and technically, they still have until March first uh, to go back. So we, you know, who knows? We might be talking about someone that. Uh, all right. Well, I got to pick someone new then. I'm going to go with uh, the the big Kentucky nose tackle. Uh, oh, here you go. Your boy. Bohanna, number yep. 95. I mean, this is he, – he was hurt a little bit, and you can tell when he wasn't in the game because, it, you know, their their run defense was not nearly as effective. I Massive, massive dude. He anchors in the run game. Uh, you know, he's not going to beat blockers with quickness. That's not his game. But you're looking for just a, a big, massive dude that can anchor. Uh, that's your guy. And so if you're looking for the right – type of player uh you know i think he's got a shot to get drafted there's a lot of kentucky defenders to watch this year it's two corners i think a safety an edge rusher off ball linebacker so uh the guy i had pegged is the same kind of body type as quentin bohana that's terrell to daryl slayton from florida tj slayton uh six five three 58. Now, uh, 12 starts in the last two years, only three and a half sacks. He's not a pass rusher. He's like Bohanna, but he's got power to push the pocket. He's strong. He's stout, really strong run defender inside. Uh, this guy's really tough to move. I talking with some people uh, that were on staff down there. Uh, you know, they were expecting some first round buzz on him coming into the season. Obviously he did not live up to that was not nearly as disruptive, but, uh, in terms of what his physical gifts are, uh, people had some high hopes for him and then just complete opposite body type, Carlo Kemp, from Michigan, who's 6'3", 286. He played some uh, some D-tackle, also played some DN late in the year. This is a high school running back like Aleem McNeil. Really athletic, disruptive, uh, has kind of that sub-package D-tackle uh, you know, pre- uh, play profile. I feel like he's that kind of player uh, moving forward into the NFL. Uh, last round, guys. We're going to go with some player comps. Dane, I'll let you kick things off. I know how much you love uh, player comps. Give us uh, give us your best one here. All right, so... I'm 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 stealing the guy that you're going to talk about. Okay. Um, so we're going to have a couple different comps for this player. All right. Uh, uh, Ali McNeil, I, the player that just jumped out to me, thinking or just watching him was uh, Javon Hargrave. Well, uh, you know, watching him up close and personal, East West Shrine practices coming out of South Carolina State. Uh, you know, you just see the big bubble. Uh, you know, the 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 filled out body type, and they're just being surprisingly quick. Having that low center of gravity and being able to bend a little bit, it's still having that quickness to shoot gaps. Um, you know, I, I think that, you know, Hargrave really surprised and, you know, McNeil, same type of thing. And so I, I think there's a lot of similarities between those two players. I actually wrote down uh, Dontari Poe while watching him. I thought that one like just hit me over the head. Like the, just a massive human being who is a, a true, I mean, we say this a lot. He is a true dancing bear. I mean, this guy's got really light feet. I mean, we talk about the former running back stuff, but he's got outstanding feet. He gets in and out really well. He can corner for a guy who's 340. Uh, the way that he's able to move at that size, uh, I think is going to be like a Dontari Poe who, I think he, what did he, he run, didn't he run like four seven or something like that when he was in the combine uh, back in 2012? Um, Dontari Poe and Lee McNeil. And now, again, Poe ended up going top 15. Uh, I don't think McNeil's going to touch that, but uh, just in terms of the skill set and the body type, I thought that was a, a very uh, striking similarity. Ben, uh, who's yours here? You can round us out. Well, I guess I'll join the party with an Ali McNeil comp oh, for you guys go. here. So I'll go BJ Raji. 
who is a similar 6'1", 330, squatty guy with the light feet. You know, obviously you see the dancing panda stuff. Uh, and then the other guy, Tyler Shelvin, LSU nose tackle, reminds me a lot of the pieces of concrete from the old veteran stadium. The guy <laughs> that he's just not going to move, not going to blow him off the ball. He's just a brick right in there. So Similar, similar you know, pass rush skills. <laughs> no question. Just kind of line of scrimmage dweller. When you put that piece of concrete out there, you know what you're getting. Same thing with Shelvin, you know? Uh, one thing stands out to me, guys, just looking through the list of D tackles. One name we did not mention in any of these categories. Anybody uh, want to guess? There's a big one that it's, uh, it did the not I, I, The Iowa kid, Nixon. Yeah, we did not mention Davion Nixon at all. Any uh, any thoughts on that? Um, I don't – I mean, he's, he's he's a really good athlete. I mean, you see the basketball profile, the basketball background, um, a flash player. I, 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 you know, never really bought into the first-round – hype i didn't think he was that type of player but i mean there's a lot of ability there and he was obviously productive so you know he's interesting for sure i think he's got a good chance of going top 50 but i you know i'm not sure quite what to do with him i don't love his down-to-down play i think his pass rush upside is really exciting and when you watch his early career at iowa they were excited about it he only played some sub packages he played some third down roles last year for iowa They'll have him standing up and kind of these exotic pressure looks. So you can definitely tell the type of player he is. But in 2020, even when he had better production, I didn't love his down to down play. I feel like his mm. flashes really outweighed his kind of collective body of work. Yeah, I just thought it was interesting that, you know, we're talking about the top, top D tackles. We had like seven, eight categories. Each of us hit uh, at least one player in each category, uh, and his name did not come up once. Uh, well, you know, we've talked about a bunch of guys. We're going to talk about a couple more now. Uh, let's go on the clock. It's going to be a fun segment here. On the clock. All right, so this week for On the Clock, we're once again going to go with that same spin that we had last week where uh, each of us are going to play general manager, and while one of us is playing GM, one of us will play uh, the scouting staff, the other will play the coaching staff, and then the GM will make the pick here uh, at the end. These are all uh, selections by random draw. So, Dane, you'll kick us off. You've got outside receiver for the Houston Texans in round three. So a team that does not have much draft capital. I'm not not even sure if they have a third round pick, uh, to be quite honest with you, but we'll say that they have a third round pick, uh, Houston Texans outside receiver. So you Dane, as the general manager, as Nick Casario, uh, what are you looking for, uh, in terms of what this team needs and typically goes for? All right. So I believe, I believe the third round is the earliest we pick. Um, all right. So I'm Nick Casario. Uh, all right, guys, uh, put your phones down, stop refreshing your Twitter. We're not trading Deshaun Watson. <laughs> so let's talk about what's going to help our quarterback. Uh, and that's going to be an outside wide receiver, a target. And, you know, we don't pick in the first two rounds. So, you know, this is, you know, thanks to my predecessor. Appreciate that. Uh, <laughs> so we need a guy on the outside who's got size, speed playmaking skills uh it could be a traditional x uh or maybe a speedy z i I, you know let's keep it open mind there but let's get a playmaker for deshaun and someone that's going to help our offense Mm. all right we're picking up towards the top of round three (sighs) all right so i am going to play this the role of the scouting staff here and just from a player identification standpoint here uh dane i'm going to look at um some interesting names here one uh, number one tylen wallace would be a name that i feel like uh you know has certainly made plays on the outside maybe more of an interior guy, more of a slot presence um, in terms of what we're looking at projecting forward to the NFL. But a couple other names I want to throw at you. Number one, 
Austin Watkins, UAB. Uh, this is a guy that has that profile of a player that can line up at X, get off the jam, and make plays at all three levels of the field. Uh, we saw him do it down at the Senior Bowl. He did it at a high level down there, had a really solid week of practice. I would say Josh Palmer from Tennessee, similar kind of profile in terms of big, long, rangy. His best football could be ahead of him. Longtime starter in the SEC, was consistently productive despite the fact that the quarterback play wasn't great. And then Trevon Grimes. So three players from the from the Senior Bowl. Grimes, big, long, prototype at the X receiver spot. Wasn't the, the top target in that passing game, but we feel his most productive football could be ahead of him. So three names to consider there for you, uh, Dane. Austin Watkins, Josh Palmer, Trevon Grimes, all three from the Senior Bowl. So uh, with that being said, Ben, looking at this coaching staff and knowing what they're what they're looking for offensively, uh, who do you feel are some options in your mind? Well, there's going to be some continuity as uh, new coach David Cullen. David Cully. David Cully is going to retain the offensive coordinator. Uh, Tim Kelly, I believe his name is. So there's going to be some continuity with the offense. So looking at who we have to deploy at the receiver room, Fran and Dane, we still have Brandon Cooks under contract. We have Randall Cobb in there. We've obviously lost Will Fuller. Uh, his contract is up. We got rid of Stills last year. DeAndre Hopkins gone as well. I think we need some size in combination with the speed, maybe a catch radius guy, maybe a red zone guy, somebody to obviously help Deshaun Watson and be more of a QB's best friend on the outside, maybe not making him have to be as accurate and as pinpoint someone that can make a play for him. And our red zone production just struggled last year. Kiki Kuti led the team with three touchdowns in the red zone. The year before was Darren Fells. So I'm looking at maybe somebody with a little more length, a little more size in this round three ballpark. I have some names on my desk here, like a Terrace Marshall or a Sage Surratt, or maybe even a Tamorian Terry. These are all guys that can run pretty well with some more length to them, more in that kind of 6'3", 6'4", body of work that I think is a better complement to the Brandon Cooks, Randall Cobb type of guy that we already have on the roster here, friend. All right, so uh, Dan, take us through it. Tell me, is do you think Terrace Marshall will be available for us? Uh, with remember, it's an early third round pick. Do you early. think that's a possibility? I do. I do think that's a possibility. You know, there there are some there's some buzz out there that he could go round one. Um, you know, this is a guy that you know there's a limited sample size. He was injured for a chunk of 2019. He opted out early here in 2020. So uh, you know, he's a guy that when you look at the numbers at the receiver spot, I could see a situation where he's there early round three for us. Okay. I, I think that's the pick. I, I, I think Terrace Marshall, we talk about size. Uh, he has that. He's a, he, he's a vertical player. He can win down the field. Um, I, he, he could be a guy that we, we groom. We, we, you know, he's talented now, but I, he's also not near a ceiling. He, there's a lot of ways he can get better. So I, I like that Marshall pick. He might be just, you know, ding just enough where he's going to fall out of the second round and right into our laps in the third. All right, so let's go with uh, with our next one here. This is uh, going to be Ben, who is going to be the general manager of the San Francisco 49ers. So you're going to play uh, some John Lynch here, Ben. We need a safety on early day three. So we're talking round four, round five. Uh, ben, outline for us uh, what you're looking for here as John Lynch for the 49ers at safety. Again, we're going to have a new defensive coordinator here, but there's going to be continuity with D'Amico Ryan's being promoted. So I'm expecting a similar scheme here, but we're going to have to really replace Terquisky Tart, who is a big safety for us with some good length, about 6'2", 220. So I want some size. I need the range. 
some length and some toughness as he was off in our box safety. But we've transitioned a little bit away the single high cover three stuff last year, a lot more quarters base. So both these safeties have to be able to come downhill to play the run, defend in the middle of the field there. So that's the type of player in the mold that I'm kind of looking for. We still have Jimmy Ward under contract, but Jarquiski Tart is probably going to leave us in free agency here. So that's the mold I'm trying to replicate. All right. So, uh, Dane, you are playing the role of the scouts here. Uh, who are some safeties that you identify for early day three at safety? Okay. Well, I, I think that there's some safeties in this class that, you know, fit that, you know, guys that could be a little bit interchangeable, um, uh, you know, different body sizes. I'm going to give you two of them that maybe stood out to me. First one being uh, Jamar Johnson from, from Indiana, a guy that's fluid. He can move really well. Um, you know, he, he's, he's a guy that has the range that we're looking for. And I, I think he would be a great fit. If we're looking for a player that has more of the size uh, that you mentioned, then uh, Divine Diablo uh, sticks out as maybe being that fit on on day three. A guy that's filled out, uh, you know, 6'3", 225, almost looks like a linebacker, but he's a former wide receiver, and so he's got some route recognition. Uh, you know, he he has the reactive athleticism where he can fill up the stat sheet. So, uh, you know, maybe he's better as a, you know, in a robber scheme, but he's a guy that might be a fit for us as well. So I will play the role of the coaching staff here. And as you mentioned, Ben, uh, D'Amico Ryan's former Eagle is uh, now the defensive coordinator out there in San Francisco. So I'm expecting some schematic, uh, you know, carryover here. You know, I'm looking at who are some safeties that fit this role. And I think, you know, you look at Divine Diablo, he certainly kind of has that. I'm going to go with another guy here that's right in our backyard, uh, Ben. And I know you're playing John Lynch. That's a Stanford guy. It would pain you to take a player from USC. But I think if we're going to play a little bit more split safety and we're looking for a guy that's going to come down and play closer to the line of scrimmage, uh, we could do worse than Talanoa Hufanga uh, from USC. This is a guy that uh, you know has that play personality that we're looking for, that kind of infectious personality that you know that we like that we have you know that we have searched out for defensively for years and years uh, under Kyle Shanahan, under John Lynch. But then also, you know, look, I know he's got a little bit of a medical worry. We've taken some chances on guys that have had those medical red flags in the past. You know, we took Tim Harris out of Virginia. We took uh, Julian Taylor out of Temple. We took Javon Kinlaw in the first round last year. There were some concerns uh, with his shoulder that are kind of similar to Hufanga. So I think when you're looking at a scheme fit, I think he fits what we're looking for. But then also from a personality fit, I think he really could kind of mesh well with what we're building defensively. But Fran, let me ask you, if we're, you know, we're, you're trying to stack here, Divine Diablo, I love Hufanga. One other name I'm going to maybe throw into this mix is a Jacoby Stevens mm. as an early day three. Where would you stack Stevens in comparison to a Diablo and uh, and your player? I would. T- I'll tell you what. I would take uh, Jacoby Stevens, and I would probably feel pretty good about that. And he would be a name that uh, if he's there for us in early day three, um, you know, I, I might like him a little bit more at linebacker. But if we're going to play split safety, he's you know he's lost a little bit of weight. Uh, he came in at the Senior Bowl lighter than we expected, um, so he's obviously embracing that you know the the ability to stick at safety. If we want to go Jacoby Stevens, uh, me as the coaching staff, I'm not going to be upset by that selection. Yeah, I think we're going to stick with a Divine Diablo role. Yep. I think he's a guy that can play some dime linebacker, has some really good instincts being that former safety, whether it's in some matchup roles or maybe some zone roles as well. A guy that can rob the middle. But at the end of the day, just love his size, speed, athleticism combination at 6'3", nearly 225 pounds. All right, so I will uh, I will take over the Minnesota Vikings here. I will be Rick Spielman, and we are looking for a nose tackle 
in round two. And so what I'm looking for here, uh, consider this, all right, Shamar St- Steven, the, the defensive tackle, he's entering a contract year. We went out and signed Michael Pierce last offseason after we lost Linval Joseph, um, but he opted out due to COVID-19 concerns this past fall. So we did have a hole there, but we are expecting Michael Pierce back. That being said, he has an out after this first year of the contract. We can get out of that if we wanted to, and we do owe him a lot of money afterwards. So I, if I'm looking for someone stout, I'm looking for someone big, physical, pass rush is a plus, but it's not a prerequisite. Remember, we had Linval Joseph in there for a long time. We signed Michael Pierce for a reason. We like those kinds of players. So with that in mind, is there a guy for us here in round two that would fit this scheme? Ben, uh, you are the scout. I will come to you here. And while it's an even front scheme under Mike Zimmer in a single gap scheme, that one tech nose tackle is still going to have to plug. It's still going to have to be able to hold up against double teams when it presents. So I'm going to need someone that's strong and brute strength, but I would like somebody with a little more lateral athleticism than a true nose tackle. So while we may be looking at a Quentin Bohana or a Tyler Shelvin, I think they're much more suited to be in a two gapping odd front scheme. So I'm going to maybe roll the dice with a J2 Fele at 6'3", of being a one-tech at the next level. It's somebody with that, I think, is a little more one-tech, three-tech versatile. Or a Tommy Togiai, who has played a lot of no-shade one-tech for Ohio State and some big-time games, can hold up double teams, really technically sound player. Maybe both a little bit lighter than the profile we've taken in the past with obviously going after Michael Pierce and free agency and guys like Linval Joseph in the past here. But I think Tufele and Togiai present the strength at the point and the light feet and lateral agility to make some more plays. Uh, Dane, who do you got for us here as the coaching staff? Well, as you know, uh, you know, the key piece of this defense is a stout nose. You know, we want to build that strong spine up the middle and it starts with that nose tackle. Uh, we, you know, we need to go with size, you know, that you look at, you know, Steve and he's six, five, you look at Pierce three forty plus, so I don't, but I don't know how easy it's going to be to find a guy with that type of size with what we're looking for. So maybe we do need to think outside the box. So I think, you know, there's two ways that we could attack this. We can go with the guy with size and that's Tyler Shelvin, uh, you know, has the size. I don't know that he has the movements, but he has the size and the power. Uh, or we could maybe go outside the box a little bit and go with a guy that has power and has a little bit of that lateral agility like a toe guy. So I, I think there's there's two ways to do it. We could do it like we've always gone and go the Tyler Shelvin route, or are we ready to you know maybe expand a little bit and go with the Togi eye? So uh, th- I think those are the best options as we try to strengthen that spine of our defense. Well, guys, we you know I, I was on the treadmill last week and I was listening to this great podcast, the Journey to the Draft podcast, and they had a segment uh, called The Blueprint where Arif Hassan, who does a great job covering the Minnesota Vikings for the Athletic, jumped on and he said, "We are so analytically driven." And you know what? I was thinking to myself, "Yeah, he he's really right. We're always looking for guys that uh, that match the numbers, either from a production standpoint." or from an athleticism standpoint. So I want to ask you, do either of you guys feel that an Aleem McNeil from NC State, would he fit what we're looking for? Because, you know, this guy's a a big human being and he's going to test really, really well. And I feel like that's something uh, that would kind of cater to us. Do we we feel that he's a guy that could could play that role for us? I think he could play that role for us. My question is, in round two, if that's the right ballpark for an Aleem McNeil type of prospect. So we certainly have some other needs to address. We look at our board and see who maybe the best available is, as opposed to reaching for a positional need here. I think we all like Aleem McNeil, but whether this round two value is warranted, I think is going to be the, the big conversation. 
Yeah. I'm a coach, you know, I don't know about the rounds and all that, but I do think McNeil is maybe a mix of, of those two, you know, Tyler Shelvin's the, the guy that's not going to move, but he's powerful. Togiai is on the other side. McNeil maybe maybe a little bit in the middle where he's got some movements. He's got size. He could probably be 340 and still move really well. Uh, you know, he's about, what, 325 now. So uh, McNeil would be an interesting one. I don't know about the positional uh, value in the second round. Uh, but I do think McNeil could fit with what we're looking for. And really quick, Fran and Dane, let me just put a scenario out here. As I'm kind of envisioning there not being an interior defensive tackle going off the board day one. So if we have the full interior defensive tackle uh, list of prospects available to us, would you guys want to be aggressive in going and maybe getting a bar more with that 33rd overall pick and going and getting one of those guys that maybe have higher value? You know, I've been, I would say that and I'm looking back to look, just get a guy. It's going to take some draft capital. Trade We're yes. probably going to have to trade maybe a third round or a fourth round to move up in the second round here. But if we're looking at a Davion Nixon or a Barmore sitting there available on day two, are we one of those darlings of day two getting on the phone, making sure we get our guy? We've been a big trade down uh, operation over the course of the last few years. You know, we, we like the idea of having more darts to throw, um, but could this be a, a situation where we would break that mold? I think, I think there'd be some interest there. Well, I think I think there would certainly be some interest there. Just looking at the players that are available, though, the guys that you had brought up, the guys that we've discussed, I'm going to go a little bit off the ball. I'm going to go with Aline McNeil. And I feel like, you know, it might be a round too early. It might be two rounds too early. But I think he fits what we're looking for from a, a schematic standpoint, from an athletic standpoint. And, hey, I'm the general manager. I'm going to pick the player that I want. That happens sometimes. Uh, guys, this was a, a good segment. I hope that you guys all enjoyed that. We'll uh, continue uh, to do this every single week leading up to the NFL draft. Ben, Dane, uh, we will talk to you guys in the next show. All 32 teams are always under construction. How are they being built? Let's check out the blueprint. All right, I'm excited to join here this week on the Blueprint on the Journey to the Draft podcast by Zach Hicks, who does a great job covering the Indianapolis Colts uh, for SB Nation. He's written some awesome pieces about uh, the draft strategy and some of the trends behind Chris Ballard and his time so far in Indianapolis. And that is right up the alley of what this segment is all about. So I'm excited to welcome Zach here to the show. Zach, thanks for joining me, man. Yeah, of course, man. When you reached out, I couldn't say yes uh, fast enough. I <laughs> I swear I've been watching your stuff. Even though I grew up a Washington fan, I was watching your stuff uh, with the Eagles for so long. So it's a blast to be here, man. Oh, I appreciate that, man. So uh, let's get to talking about this Colts team. And, and Chris Ballard, uh, you know, widely respected in terms of, you know, from a media standpoint and from a, from a football standpoint in terms of how he has gone about building this Colts team and uh, has only been the general manager for a handful of years. But it seems like there's been a little bit of an identity built around this team on both sides of the football. So uh, if we can kind of go one by one, what are three trends that kind of stand out to you, you know, watching this team closely and studying everything that they do uh, in terms of their draft history under Chris Ballard and, you know, maybe some tips for some people as they're building a mock draft. What would be the first thing that comes to mind? Yeah. The, the first one by far and away, one trend that we've really seen over the years is look at those senior players and especially those senior bowl guys. Uh, I mean, going all the way back to even 2017, uh, and also that big draft in 2018 he had where he had Quentin Nelson, all them after Quentin Nelson, you got Darius Leonard, who was at the senior bowl. Yep. You had Tyquan Lewis, Kamoko Ture. Uh, I believe 
uh, I don't know if Naeem, uh, Jordan Wilkins, Naeem Hines, I think one of them was there. Both of them were there as uh, well. Naeem Hines, I'm pretty sure was, yep. Yeah, Hines. And then uh, even these past years, Michael Pittman Jr. was there. Ben Banigou, Rocky Sin. Uh, all these guys are senior bowl guys. And, and Chris Ballard loves that aspect of the draft. He loves getting senior guys. You know, obviously he'll spend some top picks on guys who are underclassmen like Quentin Nelson and, and um, I believe Jonathan Taylor last year as well. Yep. But, uh, but he likes those senior guys. And that's always something I circle. Uh, senior bowl is big for him. Uh, and then, you know, if we want to jump to the second one here, uh, high character guys too. Right. Loves high character guys. It's a big part of the process. I don't know if how many people know this outside of Indy, but Brian Decker is their, I think their player personnel director for the Colts. Right. And he's a former Green Beret who vets these players like at the senior bowl, at the combine and vets them on character. And, and they don't draft a player unless they get the sign off from Brian Decker. So senior guys and high character, like if you see a big red flag off the field, uh, I, I would not mock them to the Colts. Yeah, it's uh, there was an interesting piece. I, w- I want to say was it MMQB uh, that ran the piece where it was it was all about um, you know about Brian Decker and the the process, all the different questions that he asked. I think it was a series of five questions, and uh, it was a really cool piece that they really kind of peeled back the curtain uh, into their process. They've actually been very open uh, in terms of looking at their process, which has been fun uh, for us on the outside. It's interesting too. I know that uh, Chris has talked about this in press conferences in the past that it's like the with there they're trying to get the the mental makeup and they're they're not necessarily scared about a guy if he's made you know one mistake or he's had kind of a one miss up and that goes back to his days uh when he was a coach at like texas a&m kingsville it's like hey i i've been around good guys that have made bad decisions he said i want to find out what what are these guys that uh you know have the makeup that we're looking for i think it's a, a really interesting look at the entire process for sure yeah, absolutely. And and I will say just from covering this team, you know, I covered Washington for a couple of years. Then I came over to cover the Colts and you can definitely see what the type of guys he's brought in yep. the high character. I mean, Kari Willis, I, I talked to him right before that draft class uh, in 2019 and right away knew that he was a Ballard type of guy. Mm-hmm. And luckily he ended up being there. Uh, Naeem Hines is another way where it's just these guys are like just have that so much maturity and they kind of understand like who they are, what they are, like what they're ready to get better. So you, you can kind of see that same exact vibe from everybody. Obviously it's taken to some different levels. You know, Darius Leonard sure. has that, but he's legitimately insane on top of it. <laughs> so, you know, you, you kind of have different levels of it, but uh, yeah, the maturity and that character aspect, you can kind of tell just within the first few minutes of talking to a guy, if they're a type of a Ballard, like Chris Ballard type. All right, let's get to the, uh, the third one. What's the third takeaway? It's going to be the the explosion and speed. Uh, he loves he loves those high upside guys, and he's been lucky to to hit on a lot of them. He's also you know he's missed on a few. And, you know, Kamoko Ture and Van Bandigu haven't really panned out the way that we would have hoped for. But when you look at some of the other guys, I mean, you got uh, Darius Leonard, Braden Smith, uh, you know, Michael Pittman Jr., Jonathan Taylor. Like those guys are high octane explosive athletes. Uh, and he likes to take those shots. And I think it kind of goes back to the character thing too. It's, it's when they get that good feel for the character and good feel for their mental makeup, then he feels confident taking those guys with those high upsides. But uh, that, that's the Chris Fowler way. He like, he he'll take a couple of guys who are like higher floor guys, like your Kari Willis types, but he, he loves to have that explosive element to his team. And, and uh, we've seen that in the draft the last couple of years. I know that he has said that in the past in, in interviews. I think he went on uh, Move the Sticks with Daniel Jeremiah and was like, look, like we've got an indoor stadium. We want to get fast guys on the mm-hmm. track here at, at, in Indy. And you kind of see that uh, with the way that they, they build the team. And really, from position to position, they take a lot of guys uh, with high-end speed. Um, with that in mind, 
are there any kind of schools or different programs or whether it's Chris Ballard or this coaching staff that you feel kind of have special connections that people need to keep, keep in mind when they're putting together their mock draft? Well, Colts fans would hate it if I said it, but he does like his guys from Ohio state. Now, unfortunately they haven't panned out exactly. Tyquan Lewis had a good bounce back year this year. Paris Campbell, we're trying to get him on the field, but you know, he, he does like Ohio state, but he likes the big 10 in general. It seems like he likes to take a lot of guys from the big 10 uh, like I said, Kamoko Turi is from the Big Ten. Um, Jonathan Taylor from the Big Ten last he's year. A, and he's a, he's a Wisconsin guy. And he's a Wisconsin correct. guy. Yep, yep, yep. So he does like the Big Ten. He actually seems to take that around the same percentage as the SEC, where the rest of the league, it's probably higher SEC than anybody else. Right. So, uh, yeah, I would definitely look at Big Ten and and Ohio State-type players. But, you know, he, he doesn't really. You know, it's, it's not something like he particularly looks just at Big Ten, but – I think he has a bit of a connection to that, those schools over there. Sure. That makes sense. Uh, let's get to the next question here in terms of uh, the needs for this football team. And uh, obviously there are many, plenty of media reports that say that uh, the Colts have their quarterback now moving forward, but outside of that position, what would you say are the three biggest needs right now uh, for this team moving into the fall? Yeah. So obviously free agency can change a lot of this with, I, I believe they have 48 million in cap space still right. uh, not too many big time free agents of their own to sign. I mean, T Y Hilton, Xavier Rhodes could take some of that, but as of right now, I would say the biggest need uh, and some people might disagree with me, but I think it's that defensive end or edge rusher is, is the biggest thing for them right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, they just kind of lack that consistency off the edge all year. Justin Houston was solid, but just wasn't consistently getting pressure. So defensive end number one, uh, then left tackle would probably come into number two. Anthony Costanzo retired this past all season. They didn't really have too much of a replacement for him on the roster. So they're going to have to get a new guy in there. Uh, and then I probably go with corner after that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rocky sin kind of took a bit of a step back. Xavier Rhodes might be gone in free agency. So they could probably use another younger corner uh, in this uh, cornerback group. And I, uh, for those that have not seen it, uh, the piece that really kind of said like, oh, I need to get Zach on the show. You, uh, Zach, you just did a piece about what Chris Ballard looks for in edge rushers and went through uh, a whole bunch of different metrics and, uh, you know, uh, prototypes and, and things of that nature. It's a series uh, that you've been working on over the last couple of years. So I implore you guys go check that piece out uh, in terms of that number one need for this Colts team. Uh, you know, we talk about need. I always ask everybody now. When you look, talk about the, the difference between need versus best player available, where do you feel that Chris Ballard lands on that? And how do you feel that that will be addressed here in this upcoming draft? Yeah, you know, I think like all good things, it's the answer lies in the middle. I, I, you know, I won't, th- I won't think that, you know, like you said, the reports out there that they have their quarterback. I don't think they're going to just say like, oh, if a great quarterback's there, they'll take the great quarterback. Uh, I think that it kind of just goes in the middle there. Like, mm-hmm. who's the best player at a spot that we can still use them? You know, you're not going to take a guard when you have Quentin Nelson and and Mark Lewinsky and all those guys up front. But I, I do think it kind of comes it's it's like a push pull with that. Like last year with Jonathan Taylor, they traded up and grabbed a guy when they really didn't need a running back when they had Marlon Mack and Naheem Hines uh, already on the roster, already good players. So uh, Allard likes to have those shots. He likes to take those shots on high talented players. But there needs to be somewhat of a need there or at least something in the future coming up where it makes sense to take that best player. All right, let's talk about uh, some of the players in this class. Is there a guy or two and with the Colts picking you know, in the low 20s? There's a, a wide variety of players that have been linked to them. Is, is there a guy that you're like, man, like, okay, knowing what we know about Chris Ballard, about Frank Reich, these guy, this guy or this these couple guys make a lot of sense based off some of these things that you've laid out? Yeah, I, I think if you're talking first round, I think guys like a guy like J.C. Horn 
makes a lot of sense. Uh, just has the size, the height, uh, like the height, the size, the strength, the willingness to tackle, which is big in this scheme. And also has that mindset where you can just say like, this guy has the the feel of like a number one corner in this league. I, I always, I always love that in corners and he definitely has that. Uh, I think when you get past the first round, I think one guy who makes perfect sense, just speaking about defensive ends here too, is uh, Jordan Smith out of UAB. Uh, super big, super long, athletic, uh, explosive guy. I mean, he's a little bit raw, but I think he fits everything. Uh, and then pretty much any of these tackles. I mean, all these tackles, it's a great class. Uh, I, I really like the athleticism at the top of this class. So uh, as long as you have a guy who has some decent size, you know, probably around 300, 310, decent uh, arm length and stuff, but is really, really explosive and athletic, a tackle in the first round makes a lot of sense there. And then I guess off of that, is there a guy or two that's being mocked to the Colts that you just, that, you know, I just don't think that this match makes a lot of sense in your mind. Pretty much anyone at 21. No, <laughs> 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 knowing Chris Ballard. I mean, the, the trade back probably seems like the most likely thing. Uh, the only guy that really comes to mind is the, the Georgia pass rusher, uh, Aziz Ujwari. Yep. Yeah. Uh, super young, really fun player, but I feel like, and this is again, part of this has to go off of my own evaluation. Sure. Uh, I think he's kind of got shorter arms and he's more of like a, a polished rusher than he is an explosive and long athlete, which is what Ballard typically likes. So that one hasn't made a ton of sense to me, but outside of that, man, anyone at 21, I feel like, I feel like that's almost a guaranteed trade back with them losing their third round pick reportedly. Interesting. All right. Well, let's get to the final question. That's uh, any final parting advice you've got for uh, people that are making their mock draft and they're picking for the Colts uh, at 21. You'll probably be wrong. <laughs> I, I feel like I've been able to, like I've been told that my, my build a Ballard series, which by the way, is one of probably the most creative thing I'll ever be able to name. Like I probably was <laughs> That's probably it, but uh, I, I feel like I've been able to narrow on some of the aspects he likes, but Chris Ballard always seems to, to take a player that I don't expect. And I'm always even a little bit baffled. And then they turn into an all pro. So, mm. <laughs> I mean, he knows what he's doing. He's great at it. Uh, I, I've been able to circle on some of them, but I would say just focus on those senior bowl types, uh, those high character guys. And that's hard to say without really uh, interviewing guys, but do the best you can with that. But uh, check out, definitely keep an eye on that senior bowl. That's, that's what he loves. Love it. Well, Zach, uh, really appreciate you joining us here uh, on the journey to the draft podcast. Really hope, hope to uh, see more of these building the ballot series. Cause I, I've been enjoying all of them. Thanks so much for joining us and we'll talk to you again soon. All right. Thanks buddy. Now it's time to hear from you, the fans, in the draft mailbag. Well, great stuff there from Zach. Really insightful. And I'm always going to be on the lookout for people that are putting together those kinds of pieces to bring them on here to the show. That was really good stuff there uh, from Zach. Let's wrap this one up with our draft mailbag. And we've got a mock draft uh, from Sugarcane590, who left a five-star review and said he did a mock draft on the Draft Network and their mock draft machine. What do you think of this seven-round Eagles-only mock draft? And so with the seventh overall pick here, Sugarcane uh, did a trade back with the Lions uh, and picked up an extra second-round selection. He picked Alabama corner Patrick Sertan Jr. Uh, I love Patrick Sertan. He's one of my favorite players in this draft. And uh, to get him in a trade back, I think that would be awesome. You know, the Eagles stayed put and took him. I think that'd be awesome too. He's a really fun player. I think he'd be a great fit uh, in this scheme and certainly fits uh, an area of need as the Eagles will try and see if they can continue to bolster that cornerback position. 37 overall, linebacker Baron Browning from Ohio State. And Baron Browning, 
very versatile player. Really, this was his only year as a starter, quote-unquote, but has played a ton of snaps over the course of his career, and he can do a lot of different things. He showed off that versatility down at the Senior Bowl. He could play in the line of scrimmage. He could play over the tight end and uh, you know, and, and drop back in coverage. He could play in a stacked position and attack downhill, and he can rush the passer a little bit as well, put his hand in the dirt and get after the quarterback. And I think that versatile skill set will serve him very well, uh, depending on the scheme he goes into in the NFL. But this is a big physical kid. He's got some athleticism to him. He's a really versatile player that people should not forget about moving into this draft. Next up, with that second-round pick that he acquired in the tradeback, uh, Sugar Kane took Wake Forest pass rusher Carlos Boogie Basham, who is a power player off the edge. He could slide inside. He was right around 280 at the Senior Bowl, but he wins with power. He wins with technique. More importantly, he wins with effort. And we're going to talk about uh, players of that ilk, actually, uh, this week on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, myself and Ben. Uh, we're going to be talking all about the top sack artists in the NFL this past year after some film study. And Basham, uh, this is a guy that I feel like can have that kind of disruptive potential. I know Ben actually tweeted, he said he felt he would be able to lead the league in pass in pressures as a rookie, uh, you know, in terms of the rookie pre- pass rushers, he'd be one of the most disruptive uh, in year one, and I think that's spot on. I think Basham has that kind of skill set to get him mid-round two uh, would be good value there. Let's go to round three, another senior bowl player, uh, this time with Dwayne Eskridge, the wide receiver from Western Michigan. Explosive, explosive athlete. I think some similarities to a Terry McLaurin uh, when he was coming out of Ohio State. He's a little bit older. He'll be a 24-year-old rookie, but uh, explosive, really, really fun athlete uh, who's also got some savvy at the top of routes as well. He did. He had a really good week of practice down at the Senior Bowl. Let's get to day three here, and then we'll kind of speed through this. We've got a couple additions to the secondary. Another Senior Bowl player in Damar Hamlin, a versatile safety who played uh, down in the nickel a little bit, out for Pitt, uh, kind of similar to Avante Maddox, a former teammate of his, but uh, Hamlin is a fun player. I've studied him for a couple of years now. Uh, at 167, Oregon corner, Deion Amador Lenore, I think he's got he's got a starting uh, starting skill set. He's not a uh, impressive off the hoof athlete that's going to wow you in, th- in terms of the way he moves. But I think he's got some instincts to him, and I think he's got some competitiveness to him uh, that you like. Let's go to the next couple of picks here. Anthony Schwartz, the wide receiver from Auburn. This guy is speed, 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 and more speed. He's fluid in and out of breaks as well. Uh, not super productive over the course of his career, but a world class sprinter, an outstanding track athlete. Uh, that speed translates to the football field. So a little bit of a project still, uh, but this guy has got some juice uh, to be certain. Let's go to the next one. Robert Hainsey, an offensive lineman from Notre Dame, another senior bowl player. Uh, This guy was a right tackle by trade for the Irish, and he played guard, both guard spots, and some center during the week in Mobile. I'll tell you what, he looked like one of the best offensive linemen by my eyes down there at the Senior Bowl. I thought he had a really good week. I think he's got starting potential, especially on the inside. I thought he was more of a swing tackle uh, just going off of film. There are going to be some length limitations there. He's not the most fleet of foot, but I think when you put him on the inside, I think that he's got some real ability. I think he's going to be a starter. Even at center, I think he's got some ability there. Getting him mid to late day three would be a steal. I think he's got the ability to go even earlier than that. Let's go to the last couple. These guys were senior bowl players as well. So a very senior bowl heavy mock draft here um, from Sugar Kane. Patty Fisher from Northwestern, kind of your classic thumper, oversized middle linebacker. He's been playing uh, up at Northwestern for a handful of years now. And then Chris Evans, He's been at Michigan for a while, missed a year, all right, because of an academic thing. He, he had to kind of uh, – he wasn't uh, wasn't in school, was not with the program for a full year, came back this year, was kind of a part-time player. Uh, but he's, he has shown some talent. He's shown some flashes. So uh, Chris Evans rounding out the draft. So that's a good mock uh, from Sugar Cane. Like I said, heavy with senior bowl players. I mean, you, you look at Baron Browning, Basham, Eskridge, Hamlin, uh, Hainsey, 
Fisher, Evans. That's seven senior bowl players. Uh, that's a lot of guys coming off the board there uh, for Sugar Cane. So uh, really appreciate you guys leaving those uh, those comments, leaving those ratings, leaving all of that stuff, all of your support over at our Apple Podcast page. Thanks so much to everybody that has done, though, in recent weeks. We're going to keep this going here. In a couple days, we've got a great show for you here. Greg Cosell will be back. We'll have another special guest. We'll have Ben Fennell. Uh, we'll be breaking it all down later this week, right here on the Journey to the Draft podcast, driven by AAA. In just over three years, Eagles Autism Foundation has raised millions of dollars for autism research and care. But this is about so much more than just fundraising. This is about making a transformational difference in the lives of those affected by autism. This is about bringing our community together. With inclusive, sensory-friendly events and accessible resources, we meet families where they need us most and where we can serve them best. Together, we're united in our mission to improve the lives of the autism community and to turn awareness into action. It's what we focus on every day in every way.